One of the ways we form connections with one another is by noticing where our experiences overlap. It's a wonderful moment when that noticing leads to empathy and intimacy. But just like anything wonderful, there's a flip side. Our question this episode: When does saying "I know how you feel" shift from empathy to hijacking? Welcome to episode 39 of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo, and I am so pleased that you've joined me today. A recent coaching session inspired me to share a few words on today's topic. When it came up in the session, it reinforced something that I learned early in my coach training: clients will come to you with the same challenges that you, as a coach, have dealt with, either in the past or in the present. It creates a special sort of tension in the coach's mind. As much as we know that what the client is going through isn't about us, and that sharing our experience might just muddy the waters. We're human. We will have an impulse to say, "Oh my gosh, I've had that happen to me too," or "I know exactly how you feel." But we're trained to check that impulse, and most of the time, it's the right thing to do. And this is such a big topic. I have an entire presentation on coach self-management. It was just this week, however, when I put two and two together and fully realized that it's not just coaches or other professionals who listen for a living that would benefit from some of these self-management strategies. And so that's going to be our focus for this episode. And before jumping into that topic, I invite you to visit howcanisaythis.com for more information about this podcast. From there, you can also access past episodes, subscribe, and find details about how to leave a review or offer feedback. And if you find this podcast useful, I invite you to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues who you think will find it interesting. An occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building, and I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. All you have to do is go to howcanisaythis.com, and you'll find a navigation item called "Submit a Question," and there you'll find the online submission form and all the other information that you need. So, on to our topic. In general terms. Here's what happened in the client session. My client is a leader in a large company, and she'd had a one-on-one coaching session with one of her direct reports. So this was a coach coaching a coach. There had been a major announcement that affected everyone on the team, and this particular employee was struggling with it. He disagreed with the decision and felt that it went contrary to the direction the company had said it wanted to go. And as he processed this, my client was thinking to herself, "I feel the same way. I'm having the same struggle. I share your concerns." But she tried to keep in mind the purpose of the conversation, and that was to support him in working through the implications of the announcement and what it meant to him. Because she was his supervisor, she had a responsibility to both help him come to terms with the announcement while not throwing her own management team under the bus. She didn't have any say in the decision that they were discussing, so she had to accept it, just as her direct report did. And as a leader, she was expected to embrace the change, even if she didn't agree with it. 
As we discussed how she handled the discussion with her colleague, she noted that this is a challenge at home too. Specifically, when her husband shares something that's bothering him or that he has a lot of emotion around, there are times when she experiences the same "I know how you feel," and her thoughts immediately take her back into the time and place that she shared his emotions. And in those moments, she does what most of us do: what we think is the right thing to do. We say a variation of "Ugh, I know what you mean. That same thing happened to me." Here's my story. My client had enough self-awareness in the moment to know that her "I know what you mean" response didn't always hit the mark. It sometimes made things worse, causing her husband to tense up even more. She said to me, "If I could figure out how to respond in those situations, that would be amazing." And as I listened to my client, and this is sort of a Russian doll thing where you keep peeling back the layers, I was thinking to myself, "Yes, me too." The problem had shown up for me in a similar way. Either my husband or I would share something about our day that we needed to process, and the other person would jump in with their own story. It's a pattern that we noticed for years, and we've mostly been able to break it simply by noticing it and finding ways to stop it as it's happening. Now you might be wondering, why would you want to stop it? I mean, isn't it good, as you mentioned in the opening, to build connection through shared experiences? Isn't that just being empathetic? Yes, it can be empathetic. As we discussed in episode thirty-five, empathy is about walking in another person's shoes and feeling what they feel, most often because of a closely related or shared experience. One example of this, on a national scale and even a global scale, is the highly visible empathetic movement that is #MeToo, which focuses on bringing out into the open the experiences of those who have suffered from sexual harassment and sexual assault, and holding those responsible accountable. It's a powerful statement of empathy that shows solidarity and compassion through shared stories. When someone shares a story that involves shame, guilt, fear, or trauma, you have to discern how quickly to move in with your own "me too" story. It might be right away, or it might be only after lots of listening and trust building. The main point here is to be aware of which is more appropriate in the moment, and when in doubt, ask. If you're not sure if it's time to share, you could say. Would it be all right if I shared what happened to me, or do you want to talk more about your experience first? And whatever they answer, it's really important to honor their wishes. In everyday situations, when the risk of sharing is less and it's easier to just blurt out your story, it's important to remember this: showing empathy doesn't always mean you say aloud what it is that gives you the right to say "me too" in the first place. It doesn't mean you automatically tell the story that relates to theirs, because if our default in those moments is to share our story, if my client's default had been "Yeah, I know, I'm struggling with it too," or my default to my client had been "Oh my gosh, I have that same issue at home," then we run the risk of hijacking the other person's story. We shift the focus from them. To ourselves, I've said many times, the greatest gift that we can give someone else is to really see and hear them. 
When we immediately jump in with our experience, we leave the other person feeling like their story isn't important. We stop seeing them and we turn the spotlight on ourselves. And we make the conversation about us and our issues when it needs to be about the other person. When my husband and I noticed this pattern in our relationship, we had an honest discussion about it. I'll speak from my perspective with a very simple example. I might say, wow, I had a really tough phone call today with someone and I'm not sure what to make of it. And he might respond, yeah, I did too. I had to talk to a contractor about how he wasn't moving fast enough on a project. Now, I didn't explicitly say I want to talk about my phone call. But there was an invitation there to ask me a question when I said, I don't know how I feel about it. When he jumps in with his story about his phone call, I could interpret that in a few different ways. I could think that we're trying to outdo each other in the I had a tough day department. We've probably all had conversations like that. One person says, or posts online perhaps, my car broke down. And the other person says, you think that's bad. Well, my microwave blew up. It can feel like a competition about who's had the worst day. While that's probably not the intention 99% of the time, it's still reason enough to break the habit of going tit for tat. I also could interpret it that he is being dismissive of my feelings, or that he thinks it's not even worth talking about, or that he's not interested in my day or what happened to me at all. While I know him well enough to know that it's none of the above, that it is actually an attempt at empathy, it doesn't feel good in the moment. So we talked about not jumping into, that happened to you, well, this happened to me, types of conversations. We decided to try to be more intentional about asking for what we need in the moment. For instance, I might say, I had a tough phone call today and I want to talk it through with you. Do you have the energy for that? Or do you have the time for that? As we've made a practice of asking for what we need in conversation, we've also gotten comfortable in saying in response, I do want to listen. Can it wait till after dinner? Or can I tell you about what happened to me first just so I can get it off my chest? If one of us slips and jumps to a me too response too quickly, we feel it and the person who felt their story get hijacked can redirect the conversation back to them. And in that case, that might sound like, yeah, it sounds like you do know what I mean. It would be really helpful to me if we could just process what happened to me so that I can get your take on it. We should be ready to say, I want to hear more about that, but can I share this first? The point is to notice the pattern of hijacking and try to avoid it. If you're the hijacker, it's okay to backtrack and say something like, oh, wait, this isn't about me. Let's talk about you. You might not even say that out loud. You can just do an internal course correct and make sure the next thing you do is ask if the other person wants to talk about what they've just shared. And that brings me to the strategy my client and I discussed in our session. Part of what we are working on together is her being more like a coach in her interactions with her team members, instead of always defaulting to the roles of problem solver or teacher. And being curious is foundational to coaching. We listen and ask open-ended questions that guide the other person into their own truth and wisdom. It might seem simple, and in some ways, it is. 
And it's extremely challenging for coaches when we see our thoughts, feelings, and experiences mirrored back to us by our clients. We call it self-management, and part of practicing self-management means that we keep the focus on the client and their agenda rather than injecting ourselves into their story. One way to do that is to stay curious longer. Stay curious and ask questions long enough to find a point of departure between what initially felt like a shared experience. It's true that on the surface, you might think you can say, I know exactly how you feel and here's why. But the truth is, we can't know exactly how someone else feels. Because even if we share a similar experience, everything that happened before and since that experience, that singular point in time, is different. To go back to my earlier example, we have to release the assumption that both of us having a tough phone call means that there's nothing to talk about because we quote-unquote get it. The reasons it was tough are going to be different for each of us. The consequences are different. The context is different. And our reaction to it, while similar on the surface, is different. My client decided to practice noticing those moments when there's an internal tug of war going on, when she feels pulled to respond with a me too story, when it's more productive to keep the focus on the other person and to keep her story to herself. And in order to keep the focus on the other person, she's going to stay in curiosity longer and ask more questions. She's going to remember that she can show empathy by simply being with the person, listening with compassion and without judgment, and respecting their unique experience. With enough listening and curiosity, she'll eventually find that point of departure between their surface shared experience, and that will help her to release the impulse to inadvertently hijack the agenda and shift the attention to her. This is not easy, and for all of us, it's a work in progress. I've been coaching almost 11 years now, and I still have moments during sessions, like I did with the one I was just describing, when I have an overwhelming urge to slip into commiseration mode and to share my story. But most of the time, I resist the urge. The exceptions are if my client is really stuck and we've explored every option, we've turned over every rock, we've looked at every angle, and by sharing my story, it might give them something new to respond to. In that case, my sharing is, I hope, in service to the client rather than to my ego or to my own need to be seen and heard. While I hope sharing it serves a positive purpose, I can only offer it if I can do so without attachment that they will find the same meaning in it as I do, or even that they feel it's relevant. My call to action for you is twofold. First, notice how often you respond to someone else's story with one of your own. In other words, how often do you hijack the conversation by shifting the focus to you? Second, in those moments, practice letting go of your story and focus on theirs by saying, tell me more, or what happened, or following up with another kind of question that gives them more space to talk. After they've shared, and if it's still relevant, tell them your story. Or don't. Maybe practice just letting them be the focus entirely. You'll have plenty of opportunities to be the focus in future conversations. And now, I hope you've got some strategies for how to ask for what you need when those moments come. 
If you're interested in learning more about communications coaching with me, you can send me a quick email at beth at howcanisaythis.com. Contacting me doesn't obligate you to anything. It just sets the wheels in motion to have a conversation about partnership opportunities. Please let me know if I can be of service. This is Beth Bilo, and you have been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Courageously.